Hey, welcome to the Sitting at the Feet of Jesus podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are an existing listener, thanks for returning. Uh, we're continuing our study here in John chapter 7 today, and I thought I'd start with a, a joke that I heard recently. And it goes something like this. Uh, one summer evening, two old men were sitting uh, out on the porch enjoying uh, the peaceful scenery. Uh, one man was listening to sound of a church choir practicing just a few doors away. The other man was listening to the sound of the crickets chirping. The one listening to the choir said, isn't that a lovely sound? To which the other man replied, yes, and I understand that they do it by rubbing their legs together. Confusion, right? Sometimes confusion can be uh, humorous. But other times it can be quite disastrous. Uh, it's especially true when it comes to spiritual matters. Uh, contrary to what the culture says, spiritual truth is not whatever uh, you simply prefer it to be. Uh, spiritual truth is quite narrow, my friends. The culture uh, continually sends this message to, uh, to us and to everyone that all roads lead to heaven, that there are many ways to God, but I don't want you to be confused by that. Jesus was very clear when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Friends, uh, don't be confused. There aren't many ways to God. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. Either, either Jesus was right or he was wrong, but, but you must decide. It's a personal decision. Spiritual truth is quite narrow, and spiritual confusion can be eternally fatal. We don't want anyone to be confused here this morning while listening to this podcast. So I want you to turn with me here to John chapter 7, uh, which gives a, a call to think clearly about who Jesus is. A call to think clearly about who Jesus is. Now, when we read through the passage today, we're going to see three different groups of people uh, who are equally confused about who Jesus is, right? There is a, a group of people that are referred to as the Jews. We'll see that in verse 1, 11, 13, 15, and 35. The, the Jews are a Jewish religious leadership. This consists of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. These groups are often rivals, but when it comes to Jesus, they view him as the common enemy. So they join together to try to seize him. Uh, the second group is called simply the crowd. Now, this would include Jewish pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem uh, for the feast uh, from all over Israel and from all over the other countries. Uh, many of them were not aware that the Jewish leaders were out to kill Jesus. And the third group, finally, here is, is referred to just as the people of Jerusalem, and we'll see this in verses 25 through 27. These are the locals, what I would call the local Jewish people. Uh, they too were confused about who Jesus, Jesus was and about why their religious leaders were not simply arresting him because of this misunderstanding about the origins of the Messiah and Jesus's origins. They basically just conclude, hey, there's no possible way Jesus could be the Messiah. So, so the overall feeling I want to convey this morning before we dive, dive in is just one of confusion over who Jesus is. John wants us to know the truth about who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. 
while there are many confused opinions about who Jesus is, uh, friends, your eternal destiny depends on believing the truth about him. All right, let's look at the first grouping here. That it says there are many confused opinions about who Jesus is. I would categorize this under the, the character. They're, they're questioning Jesus' character. It says here, uh, some of the people of Jerusalem were wondering out loud whether Jesus might really be the Christ or whether the Jewish leaders were not arresting him because they thought that he was the Christ. That's verse 25 through 26. But they quickly dismissed this idea because, as they said, 27, however, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from, right? The, these people mistakenly thought that the Christ would suddenly come on the scene unannounced in a, in a dramatic flash. And, and they may very well have based this on Malachi 3, 1, where the Lord says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, and whom you delight, behold, he is coming, right? Jesus fulfilled that prophecy as we just as we studied it a few weeks ago in John chapter 2, when Jesus went into the temple and he cleansed it out from him at the very beginning of his public ministry. But all these Jewish residents knew was that Jesus was from Nazareth and he had been around for some time, which didn't fit their idea of how the Christ would come and, and how he would bring others to him. They're, they're simply just confused. Friends, I want to I emphasize this, is, is they knew Jesus as, as somebody around the block, right? Hey, this is Jesus the carpenter. There's no way Jesus could possibly be the Christ and so they reject him. Chapter 7, verse 12 says this. says the, the crowd was confused about who Jesus was. Some said that he was a good man. Others said that he led people astray. Some in the multitude thought that he was crazy. Verse 24 says because he had a demon, because of his comments about him wanting to, he's thinking that Jews are out to seek him. The people are basically saying, you're, you're crazy. You're, you're demon-possessed. And Jesus tells them, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Jesus is showing us the general confusion that resulted from people judging him superficially by his appearance, right? This superficial judgment resulted in um, not only misinformation about who he was, but we see open hostility, um, mocking unbelief, and yet, Amongst all this confusion, verse 31 tells us uh, many people believed. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. Isn't, isn't this just like our culture today, friends? We, we have some people that you and I both know who, who easily fall in the undecided camp, right? Others who fall in that Jesus is just a good man, or he was, uh, he was just a prophet, or he was just a teacher— uh, and then we have others who are actively against Jesus. You know, he's a deceiver. He's uh, crazy. And friends, you're crazy for believing in him. That's what they will tell you. And then many who fall in the camp like we do as believers, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. There's a lot of confusion back then of who Jesus is, and there's still a lot of confusion today. It's a very important question that we uh, that we not get confused. We must believe the truth about who Jesus is. In in, in this next section, I would call uh, if the first one was about Jesus's character, this is about his credentials. 
Now, we don't know whether Jesus overheard the confusion of the people in the temple or whether he knew supernaturally what they were talking about. But, but verse 28 says that he cried out in the temple. This, this word cried out means that he shouts out with a loud voice so that everybody in hearing distance could hear him. And he says, you both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Here, you know, Jesus, in essence, is what he's saying with probably a little bit of irony is you think you know me and you know where I'm from. And I'll grant you in a superficial sense, that's probably true. You know that I'm from Nazareth. You know my relatives according to the flesh. But but friends, you really don't know me at all. And that's evidenced by the fact that you don't know God. And you don't know anything about my divine nature and my unity with the Father. Uh, Jesus here is testifying to this group to the truth of who he is. To know him rightly, we must understand and believe his testimony. First, it tells us here in 16, he says, the first truth that we must know is my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, right? The, the, this, this speaks not only of the source of Jesus' teaching, but friends, also his origin, right? The first thing, the first truth that we must know about Jesus is he is God sent. God sent. And to be sent by God means that Jesus is eternal, right? Back in chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the eternal God in human flesh. I want you to be completely clear on this, friends. There, there never was a time when Jesus did not exist. Jesus is saying here, I do have a source. My source is the Father who sent me, the one that I am one with. It is God, the Holy One of Israel, the one they are celebrating during this very feast, the one who descended from heaven. This is the one who is speaking to you now. When Jesus took on human flesh, his deity was not diminished or mixed together into some type of hybrid form that was somehow less than God or somehow superhuman. Friends, he is fully God in perfect humanity. Um, this is what is known in the theological terms as the hypostatic union. So here is Jesus sent by God, yet they are unable to recognize him. They are unable to identify God's message. The words that he's, he's teaching are God's words. And their inability to recognize this condemns them before God. Friends, he's not only God sent, he's also God taught. This is the second truth. Jesus was God taught. And to know Jesus properly, one must be God taught. Chapter 6, verse 45. L look with me here quickly. Uh, chapter 7, verse 15. It says, the Jews were therefore marveled, or probably a better translation is puzzled. They're puzzled. How is it that this man... Uh, is has learning and he has never studied right they're, they're questioning the source of Jesus's learning they're they're saying how can this old boy from Galilee the son of a carpenter that we know have such knowledge and command over the scriptures when he's never studied under a rabbi see Jesus is educated without any educational training uh, they want to know where the source of his teaching is coming from and where did he get this learning right uh, in Judaism right when it came to being a rabbi, the normal track was that you had to study under an ex existing rabbi. And when you therefore taught in public, tradition had it that you would not only quote the, quote the scripture, but you would also quote the, the rabbi that you learned under. Right? It's, it's kind of like saying, according to rabbi so-and-so, this would make 
it's very easy for somebody who's listening to discern, oh, this guy studied under that rabbi. And it's important because it showed that the rabbi's authority there, therefore came by reciting the scriptures and quoting who? Another rabbi. But what does Jesus do? All throughout John's gospel, we see this, friends. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, right? That phrase is used by Jesus 25 different times in the gospel of John. To be sent by God means that Jesus operated under the full authority of God. Jesus didn't come on his own initiative or make up his own stuff. Back in, in chapter 5, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Right? Jesus is mirroring what the Father is doing. But friends, this is this is quite easy to remember. If, if any of you have had kids before, you know when you had little kids, they would look to you. If you had a, a daughter, they would look to the mother. They would watch how the mother was putting on her makeup or doing her hair or dressing, and they want to mirror that. Same thing with little boys. And, and this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I do what the Father does. He's God sent. He's God taught. And I love what Adrian Rogers once said when asked about where, where did Jesus go to school? What was Jesus's credentials? And Adrian Rogers said this, Jesus's curriculum was heavenly and friends, his diploma was divine. I just love that. I want you to think about this. If Jesus were only self-taught, meaning he's speaking on his own authority, then his ministry would be what? Self-exalting. That's what we see here in verse 18, that he did not seek honor for himself but rather that of the Father. The Westminster Confessional reminds us this, that the chief end of man is to glorify or honor God and enjoy him forever. Jesus is what man ought to be. His purpose is to represent his Father correctly. He is the man of truth without injustice. The truthfulness or the, maybe a better word, is the trustworthiness of Jesus was rooted in his faithfulness to his mission and not to his own self-exaltation. Jesus is not self-taught, friends. He is God-taught. So he's not only God-sent, he's God-taught, and he is God's will for humanity. Verse 17 says that. Jesus says, If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. If, if they choose to do God's will, Jesus said, they will find out his teaching comes from God. John is pointing out a very important fact. Recognizing the truth of Jesus' teaching is not dependent upon um, some intellectual ability or some formal learning. Rather, it depends upon a person's willingness to do what? Friends, the will of God. And so what impedes us in knowing the truth about God? It's, it's our lack of readiness to do God's will more than anything else. In John's gospel, God, uh, God's will is that people believe in his son. That means that only those who believe in Jesus will recognize the truth of his teaching. Uh, believe that you may know. Since Jesus is God's will for man, people must believe in him. And, and friends, faith is a prerequisite for understanding. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews eleven six. All right, let's land this with your eternal destiny depends upon believing in Jesus while you still have a, a chance. Among all this confusion and all these different peoples and the different crowds, you know, some saying he's just a man, some some people actively against him, some people just saying, I don't know, they're sitting on the fence. Verse 31 does tell us that many believed. 
It says the crowds, even though they believed, had had a kind of shallow faith, right? The crowd says the crowd said, "When when the Christ comes, will he not perform more signs than than this man referring to Jesus?" In other words, this guy seems to be doing enough signs to qualify as the Messiah. So I guess we better believe in him. And at first glance, when we read this, friends, the crowd seems to have a pretty shallow faith. But it seems to me this is exactly how the Lord takes most of us when we first choose to believe. We have a pretty shallow faith. And then God graciously deepens that faith as we come to know him and understand more about him. Uh, I gave my life to Christ at the age of 12. I'm certain back then that my faith was totally self-centered and quite immature. But he took that young boy and he took me through a path of spiritual maturity uh, to where I am today. Um, the important thing is to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior while you still have the opportunity. Verse 33 through 34 says this. It says, Jesus tells the crowd that he will be with them just for a little while longer, but then he will go back to the one who sent him. He knew that his hour was rapidly approaching, but then after he was gone, they would try to seek him and not find him. They could not come to where he had gone. They would not be able to go to heaven because they had missed that day of salvation. Friends, it's kind of funny when somebody is confused about a church choir making music by rubbing their legs together. But on the other hand, it's pretty pretty tragic when someone is confused about who Jesus is and rejects his testimony of who he is. God has given each of us a measure of light. And even through this message, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says this, Behold, now, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friends who are listening to me, if you have not given your life over to Christ, don't miss this opportunity today to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. See you next time.